everyone. Welcome to another episode of Chapter Surfing. This month we are talking about Howard's End by E.M. Forster and the Stars miniseries uh, adapted by Kenneth Lonergan. And my guest is Ellen Carter. Hi, Ellen. Hi, how's it going? Good. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Um, yeah, of so, course. <laughs> uh, so you actually ended up uh, on the pod because you tweeted about wanting to talk about E.M. Forster on a podcast. And I yeah. immediately looked up if there were any adaptations of his, uh, of his work on television. Yes. Um, and so, I was extremely grateful for the opportunity. <laughs> we, I usually like to start by sort of talking about like... Um, how, like what uh, sort of pre-existing impressions people had going in and how, like if they read the books first or watched the show first and like how that affected their experience. Um, so I would definitely, I think we're probably pretty uh, opposite where I just read my first Dan Forster book and watched the show for the first time for this podcast, like <laughs> within a week of each other recently. Yeah. Whereas um, I've been insane for like five years. Um, <laughs> yes. So I would love to just hear that whole, the whole backstory, the whole journey. Yeah. So, um, I actually read Howard's End for, um, a college class. I studied abroad in London because I was like, which is like the most English majory thing you can do, I think. <laughs> and the first book they had us read was Howard's End, and I read it like while I was still on spring break, and um, like before the like the course started. And I was just like completely like enraptured in the tone of it. Like it's got that sort of like Jane Austen wryness, and I just remember like really like connecting with it, um, and. As sort of time went on, like the more I learned about E.M. Forrester, the more I was like, I'm obsessed with this mm -hmm. like weird little gay man from <laughs> <laughs> from the turn of the century. Um, and I read, I've read I, most of his other books at this point, and I keep going back to Howard's End. And actually, like what really kind of got me into that, like Howard's End, E.M. Forrester, like these things make me a little insane, was the 2018 Stars Howard's End Adaption, oh. um, which I, because I loved the book already. I'd read Zadie Smith's On Beauty, which is like a play on what Howard's End is doing. And then I wrote a, <laughs> I wrote multiple essays about mm -hmm. it in college. Um, but then I like watched the show with my parents. Um, I like graduated not that long ago. I was living at home. I had a substitute teaching job and I was just like, I was like, okay, I'm going all in on this is my personality. And I read like, I read a room with a view. I read like a bunch of like biography stuff of Ian e. Forrester. I read Maurice and it sort of all like stemmed from me rewatching like watching that watching the BBC adaption with my parents and being like oh my god like I really do love this story so much mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah so and then uh it's been a while since I revisited them but I reread the book and rewatched the show for this because I was scared of being underprepared <laughs> for some reason and um yeah I really I still really love them both I think they're both really really good I'm interested to hear what you thought 
just like <laughs> Matthew McFadden. So it's there yeah, for obviously exactly. Jane Austen. I see Matthew McFadden. I'm like Jane Austen, buddy. Yeah. Um, and it was uh, jarring, like reading it when like literally the only thing I knew about it was that it was like made into this show starring this handsome guy. Cause like it, uh, <laughs> as you know, like the first thing in the book is just them talking about like Mr. Wilcox being this like conservative old dad who like thinks yeah. women shouldn't vote. And I like stopped at that point and was like, am I picturing him as the right guy? And had to like look up the characters <laughs> again and be like, okay, no, it is like a romantic novel about falling in love with that. Yeah. With this, dad <laughs> yeah <laughs> with like archie bunker or whatever <laughs> um yeah you uh you just said uh archie bunker my yeah. reference was immediately hank hill because i've been rewatching <laughs> king of the hill and um same vibes same vibes <laughs> yeah and i was like yeah i do want to romanticize hank hill <laughs> and i'm like like ian forster being a weird little gay guy like makes so much sense to me because I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I do feel like we like fetishize super boring straight guys because it's like that's what I'll never have. Like, yeah, I'll yeah, never it's get so to true. Be with this guy. <laughs> yeah, I think like the most, like the most like obviously gay thing about Ian Forrester is that he just loves like shitty dudes like across <laughs> the board. He has never written a normal man in his life in any of his novels. They're all just like total pieces of shit. And I love every single one of them. And he clearly loves them all too. It's amazing. Yeah. I love how like condescending it is. Like (laughs) I, I feel like a lot of sort of like satires of like toxic maleness have more of like a like a bitterness to them rightfully so mm-hmm. like more yeah. of an like anger to them and it was like very funny reading a satire of toxic males that's just like you know husbands are just weird tall guys who live in your house I'm just, I, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're all very pathetic um and I feel like Ian Forrester just has a lot of like tenderness for them you know like a lot of tender understanding while still being like God, these dudes are garbage. Yeah. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I love that it, like, talks about, like, men ruining everything through capitalism, like, in the way you would talk about your dog. Like, it's just, like, constantly, like, he doesn't know. He's just a straight guy. Exactly. Um, I'm obsessed with, like, Margaret's, like, I can fix him energy, which doesn't quite translate into the show, I feel like. But, like, there's so many parts of the book where I'm like, oh, Margaret's just being like, oh, I can fix him. And I'm like, (laughs) you can't, but I'm glad that you think you can. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, although she does kind of end up fixing him, I guess, at the end of the book. (laughs) Yeah, he, Mm -hmm. like, starts to sort of be like, oh, I've, like, felt a human emotion now. Like, I get what that's about. (laughs) a great way to end a book. The end of the book is extremely weird. Um, Yeah, it's... Yeah, I I was not expecting a murder to be involved at all. No, yeah, you you don't see it coming. And, yeah, it... I don't know. I always... I... It's really hard to read as, like, a happy ending for me because, like... A character, like one, like the poorest character in the novel dies, and then his wife is just like, we don't know what happens to her, and then like, 
this other guy goes to jail and then they're all like, oh yeah, we're happy now. We all moved on, even though those guys couldn't. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's such a it's such a strange book to read, I feel like, because it's it's very short and I feel like it feels like it shouldn't be. Like it feels like it should be like a war and peace length novel with like it the amount really of stuff does. going on. Oh my god. And particularly like it covers so much time. Like yeah. that was one thing that I noticed about the show this time through is they really like condense it all. Like it's like, oh yeah, two years pass between like Miss <laughs> Wilcox dying and like the next part of it. And it's like, oh, it's like the next month or whatever, or like the in the next like season um of like the year. And it all like in the show, it feels like it happens in like maybe like a year or a year and a half, and then like in the book, it's like five or six years. So, yeah, I and yeah. I almost felt like that worked for the adaptation. Like I feel mm-hmm. like so many miniseries, like like the Pride and Prejudice miniseries and stuff like that. Like you feel like you're like missing a lot, um, mm-hmm. and I feel like this adaptation really benefited from the fact that like reading the book is already like oh we're skipping over all this yeah stuff. <laughs> it's like oh yeah lots happened but you know none of it matters to like what we're specifically talking about and yeah so just kind of truncating it does kind of make sense I do think the ending it's like I think I agree with you about the pacing of the show until the ending when it's like in the show it in the movie it's like or in the book, it's, like, a little bit, like, oh, like, we get into all their emotions about, like, this, like, murder that happens, and then, like, 11 months pass or something, and then they're all, like, okay, we've got a baby, and it's all kind of normal, and in the show, it's, like, he dies, Matthew McFadden cries a bunch, and then two years later, here we are, and I was, like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, the the ending is definitely very jarring it 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 definitely just like had a feeling of like well we need to wrap up we've we've gone through (laughs) the whole star's budget now (laughs) oh my god it it looks so expensive like yes that I feel like the costumes especially are so good yeah the costumes are incredible everything they put Haley Atwell in I'm like I would own that I would wear that if, like, people wouldn't judge me too much for looking like I live in 1900s. Yeah, Haley Atwell and Tibby both look like the coolest lesbians you know. Literally. um, Every decision made about Tibby for the show (laughs) is remarkable. Tibby is, like, one of my all-time favorite literary characters because, like, yet again, he is just such a piece of shit. Um... (laughs) And, like, in just, like, the most glorious of ways. And the show leans into it so hard. Like, I've talked to people about the book before who, like, read it a couple years, like, before we've talked about it. And they're like, wait, who's Tibby again? And I'm like, the brother. That's awful. And they're like, I kind of remember him. But the show is like, no, you are going to remember this man and how much of just, like, a little, like, shitty, twinky duty is. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah, I definitely sort of felt like the the people you talked to, that Tibby was, like, something of a non-entity, and then in the show, he's just incredible. <laughs> but, um, my favorite Tibby moment is when uh, he says he doesn't want to go to college, like, he says something about how he doesn't want to go to college, and is like, why should I have to? And, uh, <laughs> 
his sister's like, well, you are a man. And he like looks down at his body like to confirm that this is true. <laughs> Incredible detail. Yeah. Yes. No, it's like, it's huge lesbian energy. It's huge like, yeah, I don't want to work. I'm just like going <laughs> to chill. It's incredible. He's he's extremely life goals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The I think probably the best scene in the final episode is when um, the uh, Matthew McFadden's son is talking to mm-hmm. Tibby. Charles. And, yeah. Yes, Charles. And he's just being like such a like man about it and being like, we need to mm-hmm. do something. And Tibby is just like, so just like, why are you not getting that I just like <laughs> sit on my couch and like, <laughs> Yeah, he's like, I would like to go back to, like, smoking my little silly pipe and just vibing, like, could you leave me alone? (laughs) It's incredible. Yeah, um, Alex Lothar or whatever his name is. Yeah, from Black Mirror and uh, End of the Fucking World. Yeah, he should have won an Emmy for it. I... He should win an Emmy every year for that role, just, you know, in (laughs) memoriam, because it's incredible. Yeah, I would... Uh, I sent you this. I was very pleasantly surprised when I was looking up Howard Zentippy to get pictures of him, of course, and uh, mm-hmm. a Vulture article actually came up just praising specifically the character in that adaptation. Yes, I was like, I'm glad Vulture understood like the experience I had watching the show. I was like, finally, somebody besides me gets that Tibby is important and awful. Um <laughs> Yeah, I had a I had a bit a couple years ago that nobody understood, but I was like, the thing is that in every single E.M. Forster novel, there's a terrible brother um, who's just out there like being terrible to his sisters, um, and I was like, okay, like I had like a whole bit that I would do with people where I'm like, oh yeah, E.M. Forster's support group for terrible brothers. This is the <laughs> skit I would write if I was on SNL, if I was like a writer for SNL, and everybody would be like. Nobody would get that. And I'm like, yeah, if I was on SNL, it would be a very different world. So. <laughs> but yeah, I think that um, somebody uh, should write that skit um, for SNL and they should perform it on there. And it will be great for just me and nobody else in the entire world. But yeah, there's just shitty brothers all over his novels. I once looked up if he had any siblings because I was like, he must. He has no siblings. He just, wow. <laughs> he just deeply understands, like, what it is to both like your sibling and to also have a terrible brother. Like, as someone with a terrible brother who I love deeply, like, <laughs> he nails it. He nails it. <laughs> yeah, that him not having siblings makes sense to me in the same way that him being a gay guy makes sense to me is it's just like, yeah, you just have this fantasy about this weird, shitty, realistic thing. <laughs> Yeah, he's, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of like what I have to say about it as like specifically an adaption because I know that the show is about like adaption specifically and it is like a pretty direct adaption. Yeah, I um, I definitely felt like uh, Kenneth Lon. Oh, I wanted to ask you also for your background. Did you uh, know anything or like care at all about it, Kenneth Lonergan like going into this? Oh yeah. Um. Well, okay. So the only thing that I knew about him was that he wrote Manchester on the Sea and that Casey Affleck was a rapist. And that 
Those were the only things that I knew about Kenneth oh, Lockman. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I was a little bit like, I, I don't, like, I didn't really know his deal. And I didn't know if, like, I honestly had no idea if, like, he knew about Casey Affleck, like, rumors before he got cast or if he had anything to do with casting. So I was just, like, mostly my impression was negative just because I was, like, <laughs> Casey Affleck's a piece of shit. Um, but I was, I don't know, I'm really impressed with the writing he did on it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've seen anything else he's written, but he did a really nice job, like, adapting, like, a novel that is so much in the narration, mm-hmm. I feel like. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, yeah, I'm a fan of his. I actually hadn't, haven't seen Manchester by the Sea because I'm not a movie guy. Uh, but he <laughs> was, he's mostly a playwright. And so I like read, oh, uh, yeah, I like read his plays in college and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he, he wrote a play called This Is Our Youth where the characters are based on him and Matthew Broderick. <laughs> um, I guess they were like good friends. Yeah. Um, and uh, there was a production of that that starred Kieran Culkin and Michael Cera, which I didn't get to see, but it sounds amazing. Um, yeah, that's incredible that's... casting. <laughs> Just like Kieran Culkin and Michael Cera standing next to each other, being like the two weirdest guys in the world in opposite directions. <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> I love um, that. <laughs> yeah, and then. Uh, that's how Kieran Culkin met him and his wife, uh, so that he entered the most notable phase of his career, being very publicly cucked by Kieran Culkin, with everyone wanting Kieran Culkin to kiss his wife. <laughs> That's extremely funny. Yeah. What a um, legacy. What a legacy to have. He's a perfect man, yeah. <laughs> just... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, just uh, writing a play about how Matthew Broderick's his shitty best friend and then later having a really hot wife who Kieran Culkin hits on at every awards show is just, I think, an ideal career. Yeah. Um, And um, I do really like this adaptation. I think it's so, like, the dialogue is so sharp and it really, yeah, gets the vibe of the book. Like you said, the book is so narration-driven and I Mm -hmm. think, like... um, a lesser writer definitely would have relied on like voiceover or something. Um, and just sort of like, I feel like so many like direct miniseries adaptations feel like they're kind of like doing the hits. Like they were like, okay, what's the dialogue that people remember and just like sticking them in, you know? Yeah. And I feel like he definitely made the dialogue feel like the book without, uh, without doing it word for word. Yeah. Yeah. It is, I'm like, I'm, I'm always, I'm like very interested in a lot of the choices that he makes. Like, like I read the book kind of as I watched the show because I, uh, you know, was running out of time. So I was like, I'd read some of the book and then I'd watch some of the show. Um, and I was very interested by like what narration he kind of chose to like put into words. Like mm. he verbalizes like Margaret's only connect thing and he verbalizes, um, I'm trying to remember what else he verbalizes, but there's other things that he like leaves out and doesn't and doesn't verbalize particularly like towards the end. There's parts where she's like like there's a part where like Margaret's like, "Oh, she's like driven a like she's like driven a train or like broken right through the like wall of Wilcoxes or whatever." 
And I was like, oh, that seems like something that they would have just given Margaret as a line, but, like, he didn't. So I don't know. I just was very, I was very interested in, like, what choices he made. But he, but I felt like pretty, I feel like he did a pretty good job of, like, using the dialogue that felt like it got at some of the, like, fundamental core truths of the characters without making it, like, characters going around and being like this is the fundamental core truth of me (laughs) yeah I feel like he made it very like snappy and like made the dialogue really flow um Mm -hmm. uh it you I think you can definitely tell that it's like a playwright specifically because I think those uh those dialogues work really well and like in the book uh so many of them are not like direct back and forth but we'll sort of be like a quote and then we'll be like you know then Mm -hmm. they said and like sort of summarize it up um yeah and yeah they do feel like very like lived in conversations um yeah I would like yeah they feel like scenes very much which I think is very much a playwright kind of way to way to write a show um but it absolutely works with like a you know BBC-esque novel adaption. (laughs) Yeah, and I definitely thought, like, more than other adaptations I've seen, that it really, like, made it, uh, like, work on its own. But I'm not Mm -hmm. sure if that... I'm not sure if it actually, like, does totally work on its own, because I did try watching it with my roommate, and I could tell she was, like, very bored. (laughs) And I think, like, it still does help to... Like, with this kind of adaptation, it always helps to read the book because I do think, like, so much of the enjoyment is just, like, immediately someone will, like, make a face or something and you're like, oh, that's so Mr. Wilcox. Like, that's exactly how he would end it. It's like, you know the characters, you're, like, very in on it. Yeah, I definitely, I watched, like, I watched with my parents, like I said, the first time and neither of them are, like, literary people and they had not read Howard's End and I was... And they, like, enjoyed it, but I think a lot of their enjoyment was me going, like, oh, my gosh, like, this part was amazing because of this. Or, like, oh, they did such a good job adapting this or whatever. So um, I definitely think that uh, having having a, you know, entry point, whether that's the book or me just excitingly, like, oh, my gosh, like, <laughs> look at all these characters that I love, like, doing things um, probably helps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like... Uh, like this specific type of adaptation rarely like actually does like the work of like a tv pilot in like Mm -hmm. establishing stuff like they kind of assume a lot yeah that you're gonna come into it um Mm -hmm. oh go ahead oh no uh yeah it's like I it sets it up it sets up all the elements but it is still very much like yeah you kind of know the deal you know who these people are you know what's going on like and you know do we we do but (laughs) (laughs) um so let's go through i think just like the casting and talk about it um so i know my biggest beef with it was that in the novel, it feels like it's supposed to be, like, a fairly plain young woman and then, like, a hot guy who's twice her age, which mm-hmm. I think is an incredibly sexy concept. <laughs> and Definitely. I was like, yeah, I want to see, like, Barb from Stranger Things <laughs> with, like, uh, Tywin <laughs> Lannister. Like, <Yes. laughs> Um, oh so God. I definitely think they yeah. sold out by making it like 
a mm-hmm. hot lady in her late 30s and then a guy in his early 40s. Like yeah. when he's, when he's like, oh, I'm too old for you. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're like the same age. Like, yeah. yeah, they're literally like five years apart in actuality or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, yeah um, there was a part yeah. when I was reading it that was like, um, he has a really good complexion for his age. And I was like, yeah, it's almost like he's a man in his 40s who is also <laughs> professionally handsome. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, yeah, Matthew McFadden's not gonna not be handsome, you know? Yeah. Like, he's just he's just out there doing his little handsome guy thing. Um, yeah, I sort of agree. Um, particularly, there's one part where, like, Haley Atwell's like, I'm 28, and I'm like, <laughs> Like, I'm like, I'm like 27, like, you're not 28. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're an adult lady. Um, I will say, though, that, like, um, just as, like, as a huge, like, Haley Atwell is hot person and, like, a huge fan of Howard's End, I was very excited about the casting just because I was like, wow, I get to watch one of my favorite shows <laughs> and this hot lady that I love is going to be in it. Incredible. Like, yeah. that's content to me. So <laughs> they were pandering to me. They probably could have pandered. A little bit better because yeah it margaret is supposed to be kind of like plain and like yeah like 28 and you know they should have just clearly like cast me in it you know like, <laughs> yes extremely exactly and, yeah and you know matthew mcfadden can flirt with me sure let's do it <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. um yeah. everyone else I thought was pretty well cast it's Mm -hmm. so weird seeing Tracy Ullman in it like I know she I think she totally like does pull it off and like fits in but the knowledge that it's Tracy Ullman yeah it's like I just immediately recognize her and I'm like that's Tracy Ullman and I'm like what is she doing in (laughs) 1900 um or whatever yeah it's yeah she just has like a face that like you know so much that it's like yeah, it's kind of hard to watch her and stuff that, like, is, like, period or whatever. Because you're like, Tracy Ullman, aren't you supposed to be in, like, the 90s? Um, yeah. Um, and, yeah, as we talked about, I thought Alex Lothar was perfect. Um, mm-hmm. When I read it, I kind of pictured Elliot Page for some reason. Incredible. And I feel like that's exactly <laughs> the energy Alex Lothar brought. Yeah, like, little, like, trans man guy. Like, just, like, Yeah. Just like chilling and vibing, yeah. Yeah. It, huge Elliot Page energy. I love it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, oh. I don't know anything about the lady who played Helen. I thought she was mm-hmm. pretty good. It. Yeah. Like it's a little weird because I feel like Helen is supposed to be like so much hotter than Margaret. Like I was yeah. picturing like Florence Pugh for Helen. Yeah. And yeah. like, um, but I feel like that is always an awkward thing where like adaptations always want to like obviously make the hottest most charismatic person the star and so it's just like always weird yeah it's like oh my gosh helen is supposed to be so much more beautiful than than like margaret actual movie star Haley atwell yeah Yeah, exactly i'm like nobody's more beautiful than Haley atwell sorry um yeah but she does she does a really good job of kind of bringing that flightiness to it i think and but yeah so yeah, I think that she's good casting. Alex Lothar's perfect casting. Yes. Leonard Bast is very funny because, like, in the in the 
move or in the book he's supposed to like have like a little mustache and like be trying to look like older and like this is just like the most like has never been able to grow facial hair in his life guy and I'm like interesting casting choice I feel like they're trying to make us like I don't know it felt very much like they were trying to cast him so that he was like hot by like 2018 standards yeah um like you know the age of Timothy Chalamet um (laughs) for sure but he did also I like I do think he was like a hot guy but he also looked a lot like uh Mark Zuckerberg which is distracting (laughs) for me (laughs) oh my god he totally looks like Mark Zuckerberg they have the same face shape (laughs) yeah he has that very like British chin where it's just like not not really quite there Um, I was happy with the lack of mustaches in this miniseries because I feel like that is always um, that's always a problem with this kind of miniseries is that it's like okay we got all these hot guys and they're gonna have mustaches I know when Paul shows up in the last episode with a mustache in like the last like 30 like the last minute or whatever I was like jump scare like (laughs) (laughs) I was like why does this man look like this (laughs) It's just to be like, you dodged a bullet, Helen. Exactly, exactly. Um, Yeah, I'm glad that they had Paul show up at the end to just be like a total piece of shit. So it's like, (laughs) yep, Helen should not have married him. Yeah. Yeah, that is one thing I will say about the adaption. I think that it leans a little bit more into like making the characters you're supposed to like likable and making Mm. the characters that you're supposed to like dislike a little bit less likable um like particularly I like I think Margaret like at one point it's like Leonard comes over and she's like oh I will not have him think that this is like entertainment for us and I'm and in the like book it's like very much like oh they both think this is like super entertaining like they're just like oh look at these little guys like doing this like doing their like um like normal people stuff what a like thing to look at and they're both like clearly delighted in it I don't know I think I wrote like on that part like this is like Twitter because it's literally like any time that like somebody is like a little bit like has a like a relationship problem it's like everybody on Twitter goes "Ooh, let's look at it and I was like this is exactly the Margaret and Helen vibe that they're bringing to this right now (laughs) yeah I definitely agree with you with it like making the likable people more likable and the other Mm -hmm. people unlikable because I yeah I think like the book itself is, like, uh, very, like, jarring and, like, very much stands out in how much it's, like, not placing judgments on anyone. And it's just, mm-hmm. like, this This is just stuff that happened. This Everyone is doing them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I. It feels to me, like, one thing that I really like about Howard's End and one thing that is always, like, really spoken to me about it is that it very much feels like a novel about, like like, all the characters in the book are constantly, like, arguing about, like, what's the best way to, like, live in society. And, like, Ian Forster clearly doesn't know the answer. Um, And, like, I think that it it feels very much like an identity crisis of a novel in that way to me, in that he's, like, try he, like, looks at all of these different, like, ways of being, and he sees sort of, like, the, um, like, the hypocrisy in each of them. And... I don't know. At the end, he comes to, like, the conclusion, like, oh, you basically have to leave society, but then society's gonna also, like, keep coming for you, um, and, 
and you have to kill the Leonard uh, of the story <laughs> in order yeah. to make that happen. Um, yeah, but I do sort of, I don't know. I always, I also think it's extremely gay because like it's explore. He's like looking at the struggle, like, okay, like this is the reality of society and I want to like live life, but actually like I can only do that outside of society. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's a gay thing, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what that is. Those, uh, I feel like also the thing that like stood out to me in sort of those debates, like they talk a lot about how to help Leonard. Uh, and they always talk about like how like charity can help him and being like, mm-hmm. what, like, what should we like give him? And it was, the thing like I found like funniest about it is that like they don't acknowledge that he has like a full-time job. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just so funny to like be like, okay, what's the most efficient way to give this guy charity? And it's like, that cannot possibly fall on you. He like fully works for a bank. <laughs> it's like maybe the bank should be paying him a living wage. Yeah, like they, <laughs> they have this debate as though it's about like an unemployed person who's like on the streets and can't work. And yeah. it's like there's a very obvious solution here. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is like so like, yeah, like none of these people have any idea what like working actually is yes. like even like the Wilcoxes like it's like oh yeah Henry like signs papers and makes decisions like I don't know I'm always like is that a real job buddy is that yes. is that real work yeah I love how much the book like draws attention to how much uh like like every book from that era is about people whose job is owning a house somehow <laughs> It's just always like, you know, I live at the estate, so I get 5,000 pounds a year. And you're like, okay. Yeah. Um, And this, like, very much draws attention to just, like, yeah, everyone, everyone in England just, like, presses a button that makes slavery happen somewhere, and then they get five pounds, and they have no idea how it works. I, yeah, I, like, I asked my mom one time when I was, like, 15. I was like, I don't know, 15 maybe, and I had just read my first Jane Austen novel, and I was like, what do they mean they get, like, 5,000 pounds a year? Like, who gives them that? Like, where does it come from? And I still don't really have a satisfactory answer. It's like, the bank somehow? It's in there? I don't know. I don't know how they don't run out. I don't know where it goes. Yeah, and I liked, uh, I don't don't know if, uh, uh, how you'll feel about this or if it's like uh, debatable because I guess it is like making stuff too obvious but I liked how Kenneth Lonergan's adaptation would like kept like bringing up that like uh, taking rubber from Africa is like maybe destroying a lot of lives and then they just like forget about it a minute later. Yes I think I mean I think like the adaption like and this is so true of like any modern ad- adaptation of a like old book like they have to acknowledge, like, there's sort of this sense of, like, you know what happens afterwards. Like, you know, like, how imperialism, like, completely ruins Africa. You know, like, that World War One is coming. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I really like that he, like, brings, they bring that acknowledgement into, they bring the acknowledgement of, like, both into the TV show a little bit. And I think that that's, like, it feels like I, I don't know. It feels like a good thing. It feels like it's good that they're not yeah. just like, hey, these people, like, do stuff in Africa. Great. It's like, <laughs> okay, actually, yeah, that's kind of bad. It's kind of 
kind of shitty. Yeah, and I, like, I think it fit, like, really well with Tibby's character that he's, like, uh, like, kind of, like, holier than thou about understanding this stuff but then also like and i don't really understand it and i also really don't care like yeah he's like oh yeah i'm not gonna invest in rubber but like whatever like your husband can kill africans you know whatever um but he'll just like say little shitty comments about it yeah it's like i'm like yeah like for, for so many of us, it's like, what can we do really besides make our shitty little comments? Like, exactly. It's just like, how so yeah. many of us live. Which, this raises a very important question to me, which is, would Tibby be a shit poster if he lived now? <laughs> yes. I feel like Tibby would be a mediocre poster who just posts, like, really obvious, like, gravel institute level commentary, <laughs> but, like, has um has uh a lot of followers because he's also hot (laughs) (laughs) yes he would be Uh, like no I have I have followers for my politics not because I sometimes post a picture in a leather corset yeah exactly and yeah and then eventually he gets like uh there's a there's like a scandal when everybody discovers that his family's rich (laughs) yes oh my god yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness incredible yeah um, okay, speaking of Africa, I, I, we might be the wrong people to talk about this as, like, two white people. Sure. But what do you think, like, I don't know what to make of the choice to make, like, Jackie Bass black. Yeah, I... Like a woman of color. I thought, in general, the casting for this was really weird because it felt like they did, like, like, Bridgerton-style open casting, but, like, just for, like the most minor parts which I thought is like weird I feel like if you might as well have like all white people at that point to me yeah it feels like like like, if your only two people of color are like Annie and Jackie Bast (laughs) it's like maybe just let everybody be white you know it's like the maid and the like fallen woman character like I don't know I and yeah, it's like they don't talk about it enough that I'm like, oh, this is actually like an interesting choice to make yeah. comments on race. And it's more yeah. like, I'm like, okay, so you made like the woman who had like, who's like, I don't know, like fallen because of her sexual history. Like that's the one you choose to make a person of color. Like, yeah, like I already in general, I don't really like uh colorblind casting because it's like I don't know like people's identities do like matter a lot if you're not you know like if you're not gonna make it matter to the story and then to like on top of that like it would be different if like they chose to make like Margaret black but I mean this it's just like that's so like lazy at that point I don't know yeah yeah it's like if you're making something that's like realistic to like the actual class dynamics of like late 1800s early 1900s England it's like maybe you should just stick to what the novel's about and like maybe leave that part yeah because I feel like the yeah the like only like the good thing I would say about colorblind casting is like um okay well at least like it gives people better parts but unless you're like mm-hmm. I mean not really like yeah. I mean, like she probably could have gotten an equally good part in something else it's not the yeah. greatest like I can't yeah. really imagine her her like 
becoming like a breakout star and like getting more work because of her role in this you know yeah yeah it's very much like I googled her and it was like yeah she's like a stage per stage actor in London and it's like and they're like oh yeah and she was in Howard's End and I'm like and like that's like her like I'm like this isn't like a breakout role this isn't what she's gonna be known for you know like (laughs) yeah so I just yeah I feel like it's a weird choice that they made I don't quite know why they made it um yeah I that's like the that's like my piece of casting that I'm like that's like the one piece of casting that I'm like really like oh why though why would you do this yeah I agree Mm -hmm. it like I feel like it first stood out to me at like a party in the beginning I was like oh there's like colorblind casting but just for like extra level roles (laughs) so then when it got to her I was like kind of relieved that a like fairly decent part was like a person of color but it was still like not really enough yeah and it's like yeah and it's like by the time it gets to like that third episode and like she's drunk and she's like oh my god yeah like I've had sex with multiple people in this room or whatever and it's like I'm like okay like this is maybe not like the best like representation (laughs) that you could be doing here like it's not your best vibes yeah. Um, oh, do you want to talk about, I feel like the only character that hasn't come up yet is Mrs. Wilcox. Yeah. Uh, who's just in, is she just in the first episode or is she a little bit in the second? I don't remember. I think she's just in the first one. I think maybe. Oh yeah, the, the second one opens on the funeral, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> um, yeah. It's. I think that she, like, I think that the, like, the, I don't know who that actress is, really. Like, I feel like I recognize her kind of vaguely, but I don't, but she's, like, very, like, she's very good. She's, like, got that kind of, like, very, like, gentle energy. Um, Yet again, I think it's one of those characters they kind of soften a little bit to make her Mm, seem a little bit more likable in the show. Um, Because in the book, like, I'm always struck by how, like, weird all of her and (laughs) Margaret's interactions are. Yes. Like, I'm like, I'm glad you like each other, but you all, like, do not know how to talk to each other. <laughs> um, I did like that. I feel like in the show, they made, uh, they made them have a super gay vibe. Like, I yes. feel like they're immediately just, like, talking in, like, throaty voices. Like, oh, I guess I'll, I guess I'll take you to Howard's End another time. I know. And then, like, yeah, and, like, that moment where she, like, runs her on the platform. I'm like, I've literally seen this, co- like, romantic comedy before, you know? Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. I and love... then the husband shows up, and it's like, okay, like, ruining the lesbian movie here could have been another carol but i guess not yeah i would love to see an adaptation that fully goes for it because i do love how much howard's end is like about being a bisexual unicorn (laughs) god you're so right yeah yeah (laughs) Ian Forster predicted how uh, bisexual women would only get messages from older couples on OkCupid. Like, he totally <laughs> saw it coming. Yeah, he was the original, we saw you across the bar and we liked vibe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it, I am very into, like, how both of the Wilcox, like, both of the old Wilcoxes are, like, obsessed with Margaret, and then the young, all the younger Wilcoxes are, like, Margaret is going to ruin our family. 
It is very, it is extremely bisexual unicorn. Like, <laughs> yeah, I love that Mrs. Wilcox just like meets this woman and is just like, I need to give her a house. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. And I, I do like, yeah, I love that like, I love that sort of like conceit throughout the entire book and like, and the TV show and how you sort of are the only one who like has all the sides of that. And then it all just kind of like resolves nicely. It is sort of very, it is very compelling structure. Um, I think that's what I was tweeting. Like I tweeted a couple of days ago, like, oh, I love it when like plots are contrived. I actually think that's fun. <laughs> um, and like, that's kind of exactly what I was talking about is like that sort of like contrived little like, oh yeah like oh it all kind of comes together nice and neat at the end except for all the parts that don't but like the house <laughs> stuff it definitely yes. does yeah I it's very satisfying yeah I love the the whole thing with uh with Howard's end um and it just feels like this weird sort of metaphor that like the way like Mr. Wilcox like doesn't care about it and like might as well give it to Margaret but just like mm -hmm. doesn't it's just like yeah. you're just like there's so many scenes where you're thing. like just just give her Howard's end like just, yeah, just like let her have the house like whatever <laughs> like who cares yeah yeah um I do sort of love that this book is like so obsessed with like places and like real estate um and I think, like, important context for that is that Ian e. Forster was, like, 30 and gay and living with his mom. And I'm <laughs> like, yeah, I, too, would be super obsessed with real estate at that point. I'd be like, okay, what can I do to have a house? Like, <laughs> yeah. how can we make that happen? Can an old guy just, like, give me his wife's house? Wouldn't that be great? Yet again, it's that, like, fantasy vibe of, like... Yeah, what if a guy, what if like an old, like handsome guy just like gave me a house? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I I really enjoyed it. It looks like, yeah, I um when I was 18, the same time I moved to New York, my parents also moved out of our house and uh so I've never been back to that house or Montana since I was like 19. So whenever I like hear people be like, "Oh, like my my, I have to leave my child at home. I'm like, yeah, like, that's what you do when you're, like, 18. <laughs> like, we're um, So, like, I kind of, like, related to how much, like, Mr. Wilcox, like, doesn't get that that's, like, anything. When Margaret's yeah, like, like oh, we matters. have to move. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you'll find another one. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, you'll find another one. It'll be fine, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I also uh, do love that Margaret is, like, extremely bad at it, though. Like, she's yeah. like, yeah, we just need, like, a small house, but it has to have, like, big rooms and lots of rooms. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what, like, looking at, like, looking at, like, apartments or property <laughs> at all is like. It's like, yeah, like, I, you know, I don't need anything fancy. I just need, like, all of these things that will make my life, like, very satisfactory. Yes. <laughs> also, I think probably, like, my favorite, one of my favorite Mr. Wilcox moments that I think is, like, perfect, just, like, satire of just, like, male entitlement and kind of, like, male obliviousness is when he's like, oh, all you have to do is figure out what neighborhood you want and figure out what you want to pay and then not budge on it at all. And he's, like, <laughs> so convinced that that's, like, the key. And it's like... No, that doesn't work out. That works out for nobody except maybe you, buddy. And it even, doesn't even work out for him. Like, I love that he, like, actually, like, hates Oniton and, like, 
is like this house kind of sucks and like there's no hunting and blah 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 and he's like yeah I just like let it like I don't want it and Margaret's like why would you do that I liked it I thought it was like a nice enough house and he's like making up reasons why he like (laughs) clearly like like why he would have gotten this house if it wasn't exactly what he wanted and I'm like dude like yeah I love I it's so much of that same like satire of like masculinity and that kind of like always having to be right thing where he's like yeah like clearly made a mistake we'll never admit it yeah um were we talking about favorite mr wilcox moments i think maybe my actual number one would be the just that scene where she's like um i don't know if margaret even says anything it might only be in the narration but the fact that he like doesn't get that the issue with sleeping with Jackie is cheating on his wife. Like, yeah, I feel like he first off, like maybe doesn't remember that Margaret knew her, liked her. (laughs) And they were like friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that's like such a good moment. And it reminds me a lot of, um, I don't know if you've read Big Little Lies. I haven't read the book. I have okay. watched the show. I don't know. Okay. I, yeah, I don't remember if this happens in the show or not. But um, so there's like a moment that I like won't spoil because it's a lot of stuff coming together. But like <laughs> basically like Percy is like apologizing to his wife in a way where he's like clearly just apologizing to her. And she's like not the woman he actually wronged at all. And I like yeah. love, I just love stuff that's like, oh, like you're not understanding that like, women care about each other and I like care about like how you treat other women like there's yeah, like sort of like that attitude of that like matters. I didn't do anything to you so mm-hmm. like we're fine yeah it's it's so like yeah there's that sort of sense of like yeah it's very like oh women like I can do anything to this woman and it won't matter to any of the other women it's just like that one woman and like I never have to think about her again so like whatever um (laughs) it's that's so that's so true and he like just doesn't and then there's that part towards the end where she's like look at your hypocrisy here like you're mad at Helen for sleeping with someone and you like literally cheated on your wife and then left this woman ruined and you're like I didn't do anything (laughs) yeah clearly like a problem here and he just like doesn't even get it it's amazing yeah it's so incredible when she like brings up men cheating on their wives and Mr. Wilcox like straight up says like oh well if he's married then he should be beaten almost to death and it's just like just like no thoughts whatsoever yeah just head empty like (laughs) (laughs) yeah um yeah I Mr. Wilcox is a really great character he like I would absolutely hate him if I met him in real life. I yeah. would want to fight him. He is, like, truly an incredible character. And I love Matthew McFadden's performance. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, we've talked about how great Matthew McFadden is before. And he's not quite as, like, deranged as he is in, like, succession <laughs> here. Um, but he has, like, such, like, this fussiness that he brings yeah. to his performances that I just, like... It's just, like, so fun to watch. Like, yeah, just an I, absolute joy to watch him, like, cut up food and eat it. Like, 
Yeah, that casting is so perfect because, like, the very first thing in the show is Helen just, like, writing that letter that's just like, oh, yeah, he, like, told me, like, being a liberal is stupid and that, like, (laughs) women shouldn't vote and stuff, and it was incredible. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I've been experiencing since Succession premiered is, like, watching him (laughs) say shitty things and being like, God, I want to climb you like a tree. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm like, was this Matthew McFadden's audition for Succession? Like, Yes. Yeah, um, and I don't know. He's got, like, a lot of these, like, little motions in the movie. Like, he does a lot of things with his hands that I'm, like, just, like, I don't know. He's very good at, like, little, like, fussy character moments yeah. that really, like, tell you a lot about the character, but literally he's just, like, moving his hand. Yeah. I love this part. Like, right at the end, I was, like, watching the finale last night, and there's a part where he's, like, crying, and then he, like, kind of just, like, puts his hand up in front of his face. <laughs> like, he's trying to, like hide the fact that he's crying from Margaret despite the fact that he's like weeping and I'm like that is such a good character note like I don't know who taught Matthew McFadden what to do with his hands but clearly like brilliant brilliant work there yeah there's a moment that is super sexy that I like I rerounded and filmed it and posted this clip on Twitter where he like reaches his hand out and like interlocks her fingers and she just like holds them for a second and then drops it that I was like wow yes. I'm so glad that's in there and it's just like well they're like yeah. carrying on a conversation that's marriage yeah. that's beautiful yeah yeah, yeah. you kind of I, I feel like I believe their marriage a little bit more in the in the show um not that I don't in the book but it does feel a little bit more like Margaret being like yeah you know I'm old enough and he seems like a nice enough guy, and I can probably fix him, so why not? Um, and in the show, I get a little bit more of a sense of, like, oh, yeah, they actually, like, there's, like, some sexual attraction there. Yeah. Um, which, uh, you know, is A, easier in a TV show. B, when Matthew McFadden's there, it's like, yeah, this is obviously easy. Yeah. And C, uh, yeah, uh, you know... Ian Forster was not a straight man. He, he, you know, he doesn't know that much about heterosexuals, I think. He just thinks they're weird. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I feel like, like, Matthew McFadden is just, like, so good at, like, using the fact that he's tall and handsome for, like, comedy and just playing these amazing characters where it's just, like, uh oh where you're just like oh I see like his body isn't the problem like everything else is the problem (laughs) (laughs) it's so true yeah he yeah he is just like a brilliant like I don't know he's so good in everything I I could yeah I could just talk about Matthew McFadden forever I mean 2005 Pride and Prejudice is one of my all-time favorite movies so like you know clearly I have some feelings about Matthew McFadden but yeah he's so good at just being like a little dweeb that happens to be 6'5 exactly what a joy and you know those are those are the best kind of guys like they're they're little teeny dweebs but they also like are like kind of like long and floppy armed I'm like doing a motion which will not play on a podcast but you know floppy arms long and tall yeah he looks like yeah he always kind of acts like he's in a body swap movie that we didn't get to see the beginning of. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's so incredible. Yeah, that's exactly it. You nailed it. Yeah. I also love his like little like full body laughs that he does. He's very good at like that kind of like hearty guy, like ha 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 kind of laugh that uh, is perfect for like a Mr. Wilcox character. Yeah. 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 I do like, I know that like Haley Atwell was like the name in the, and like the poll in like the original like, um, like advertising for the show but I'm like no Matthew McFadden was the get here like yeah you probably yeah Barb from Stranger Things that's perfect casting there you go (laughs) yeah I I'm sure it's been reevaluated since Succession came out I feel like when I loved it on Serialized there were a lot of reviews that were just like all caps Matthew McFadden which is (laughs) how you should review this show yes definitely definitely but I'd forgotten Matthew McFadden was in it, which I'm like kind of like shocked at myself that I forgot. But I like fully was like, oh yeah, the Haley Atwell Howard's End adaption with like the beautiful direction and all those things. And then I went and like Googled it again to like figure out where I could watch it. And I was like, oh my God, it's Matthew McFadden. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> Being great in everything. Yeah. yeah. It is, uh, yeah, I think it is a really interesting watch for him because I feel like. Um, I mean, I know people love, uh, like pointing out the juxtaposition between, uh, Pride and Prejudice and Succession, um, and being like, I can't believe it's the same guy, which I'm always like, I don't know, I can see the Tom Wormskans deep inside Mr. Darcy. Um, but like, uh, but like, I, I see what they mean about being like, oh my God, I can't believe it's the same guy. And then like, I think this is such a fun watch because he is just like, fully acting like Tom Wamskans for the most part, <laughs> yeah. um, which I absolutely love for a BBC miniseries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. The only thing that can make it better is slightly more deranged line readings, um, yeah. which, you know. But that's why we watch Succession, for the <laughs> extremely, like, deranged energy he is bringing to every moment of his performance. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm like... But yeah, I am really impressed with the casting. I am really impressed with the direction and like the production yeah. design of the show. It looks so expensive, like the whole time you're watching it. Yeah, it does like, I haven't watched a ton of, um, is this like, I'm trying to uh, remember if this is from like a series like Masterpiece Theater or something like that. No, I think it's just a standalone. Um, yeah, it is, but it is like a BBC, like, co-production yeah so it's like one of those like bbc classics adaptions that they you know do over time but yeah the stars co-production really (laughs) yeah it has it has much more of a vibe of like oh we're gonna make like the like the best thing than i feel like most Mm -hmm. bbc shows do um, yeah. like I, I feel like most BBC adaptations, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I feel like they're not getting like big names like Kenneth Lonergan to do their adaptations generally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, like Russell T Davies has done like a bunch of them, but like, uh, who's like the Dr. Hugh guy, I think. Right. Um, but, uh, he, like he did like the 1995 Pride and Prejudice and like a bunch of other ones, but like you know he's just like a guy that writes TV he's, yeah he's the TV guy for sure yeah um it does very much feel like like I originally thought that it was 
like a BBC production that Stars had just licensed. And then I was like watching the first episode and I was literally like, how, how did the BBC afford this? Because yeah. it was like, publicly funded. And like, and then I like Googled it and I was like, oh, Stars threw in a bunch of money to this and you can tell. Because, yeah. Like, it's like right about then was also when the like crown came out, like maybe like mm. a year before that. And so it was like there'd been a lot of talking about how like, oh yeah, like when you're making a period piece, it's so expensive to film outside because you have to like get all the cars out of there and you have to like dress up everybody and dress up the street and fix the street lights and all of these different things. And like so much of Howard's End is outside, like in the streets of London, in like the like countryside on like dirt roads and like just all over the place they're outside and I'm like oh my god like it must have been so expensive to film this <laughs> yeah and it just like looks so much better like um yeah like first off like the costume budget is obviously insane but also just like the actual look of it I feel like a lot of British shows like I'm immediately like this was this filmed on like VHS like this just like sucks to watch yeah definitely <laughs> yeah it's like filmed with like candles in like a like old building that they have like somewhere in the back streets of London yeah so it definitely it definitely has that kind of American premium cable like yeah. look to it that I cannot explain because I don't know that much about production design, but I'm like, oh yeah, I can recognize that. Like that yeah. <laughs> looks like HBO, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, in my head it's just like, yeah, if you like set a certain amount of money on fire, then it'll just like look better. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We're lighting it with the money that we set on fire. <laughs> yeah. Um, Oh, another favorite Mr. Wilcox scene I wanted to mention yes. is the proposal scene. Like, I just love how, like, awkward it is. And just, like, when, like, the fact that he has to say, like, no, I'm proposing to you. And she's like, I know. <laughs> like, so good. I do know you're and it proposing. Do- like. Yeah. It does, again, remind me of King of the Hill, um, the <laughs> moment that Peggy is, like, uh... Peggy, I'm not unfond of you. What kind of a marriage proposal is that? <laughs> yeah, it's like in a Jane Austen novel, that proposal would be like the shitty one that like the like main character is like, how dare you? Um, and But then in this book, it's just like, no, that's like exactly what they both are just like into. Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, like he doesn't want to say actual things and she just like wants to just like know what's going on and like and they'll just like figure it out together yeah Mm -hmm. um I don't know if this is like accurate or if like someone remembered something wrong because this is secondhand but I feel like my uh when I was talking about this book uh to my roommate I feel like she said oh Ellen told me that that's (laughs) romantic like that's a really romantic book I don't know if that's true, but I remember I mean, being like, I was like, oh, I'm glad she thinks so because I also think this is romantic, but I'm not sure if I'm supposed to feel that way. I think it's like sort of not supposed to be, but like yeah. I genuinely feel like it is quite like, like there's like this very like nice, like, I don't know, like sort of like, oh yeah, like you just find a guy and then like he lives in your house and then yes. you can like kind of boss him around. And mostly, like, think, make him think he's in charge, but you're in charge. Like, that's that's pure romance to me. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah, it definitely feels like 
just like this is like a romance like for adults where it's like okay like I've been on tinder enough to know that like meeting someone I can stand to be around would be like amazing (laughs) yeah yeah I would like I wouldn't have found this romantic in high school but as an adult I'm like wow they can live together that's the dream (laughs) literally it's like I feel like I'm hard enough to live with you know like if I can find somebody who's good with me like doing my little things like whatever uh sounds amazing um yeah I also I do like weirdly think that like like Helen makes fun of it in the story but I'm also like weirdly like oh like marrying your dead friend's spouse kind of like kind of a vibe like (laughs) I obviously don't want my friends to die but like if my friend has picked a spouse that I think is acceptable and they're dead now, like, you know, how else are we going to keep hanging out? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I think that is me, but I do think (laughs) that there's a romance to that. Yeah, I definitely think it's like hot that it's like, it is like, I mean, I already said bisexual unicorn, but it does feel like just like a three way with extra steps. Literally, yeah, exactly. And I exactly. like I think that is like a very gay thing. Like Tennessee mm-hmm. Williams uh, <laughs> writes a lot of stuff that's where it's like all these people have is their dead friend. <laughs> yeah, it's like that sort of like transference principle of like in like normal TV shows, like the extremely gay characters, like one of them will marry like the other one's like sister or whatever. Oh, yes, yeah. I feel like it's that same kind of principle of like, oh, like, we loved each other and you had this guy around so I'll marry him now sounds great like <laughs> right yeah it's like yeah Margaret is just like being a lesbian by proxy <laughs> exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah and you know what good for her she has she has lesbian energy so good oh for, for her. sure yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I love both Shalagel sisters I think they're like monsters kind of like they're both like huge libs but I (laughs) love them so much they're like they're just like trying so hard to like live these like little intellectual lives and like also help people but like clearly it's never gonna work and they like can't quite accept that and (laughs) I think and it's like it's sort of got this like I don't know I feel like I feel sort of similarly like um like uh patronizingly towards them like oh that's so cute of you to try like maybe actually socialism would be good and you guys should consider that um but there is I do sort of like love this like sense of like oh yeah like these are the right ways to do things and um but then also being like unable to like solve problems like it's relatable it's like we're all living like I don't know like as sort of like an intellectual in some ways which is like an insane thing to call myself um but like we we live our little intellectual existences and it doesn't really actually like change anything meaningfully but it's like what else are we gonna do besides like I don't know it's like it comes back to that idea that like main idea of the novel like that only connect which like I don't even think is successful in this novel there's maybe like three points where characters like are actually just like connecting but like is sort of like the only way that anything ever like works out for anybody is like when they just are like trying to connect with each other and yeah so I just I don't know I like I feel very fondly towards the Schlegel sisters because they're like clearly like shitty 
shitty yeah. little centrist liberals who are like <laughs> but like also it's like oh yeah like they're trying to connect with people and there's right. sort of that like yeah yet again yeah. he ha- Ian Forster has a lot of generosity towards a lot of people who are really not actually that great of people <laughs> and yeah um like yeah I love it as a class social commentary where like uh like, I just think it's genius to have um, a book where they're looking at, like, shitty, oblivious, rich people, but, like, they are also shitty, oblivious, rich people. Exactly, <laughs> and it's exactly. Just, like, the Wilcoxes are just, like, more so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's so great because, like, what's really funny about it is that, like, the Schlegel sisters and, like, their people are all based on, like, Ian Forster's, like, college friends. Like, he was friends with, like, all the, like, Bloomsbury group kind of people who's, like, Virginia Woolf and her sister like Vanessa Stevens and Vanessa Stevens husband whose name I can't remember and like all those other guys and it's just like the Schlegels are like this little like commentary on like all of his friends and he's just like basically shit talking all of his friends like in his book (laughs) as well as shit talking like all of the other people in London and himself and all of that but it's it's so cute and like Virginia Woolf like famously thought this book was like bad and she hated it and I'm like yeah it's because like it's because like you and Vanessa are Margaret Margaret and Helen Schlegel like that's why (laughs) yeah I I love the moment when um when uh Mr. Wilcox is like uh you know socialists never considered that things would just like sort themselves out unequally again and margaret is like yes they have just not like the socialists you made up in your head to argue with mm-hmm. um yeah he made up a guy to get mad at yes it's like first off that is like an amazing own that is just so like timeless like yeah Forster just predicted so many things um mm-hmm. And then also it is very funny given like what you said of it of it being like yeah like you're not the socialist in his head you're just like this boring lib <laughs> like <laughs> yeah it's so good um yeah it's like it's very much like the characters he's describing are very much like the middle range of people like and you know there's socialists somewhere out there doing stuff and there's like extremely poor people out there trying to survive but Ian Forster's like I don't know anything about any of that like I'm just gonna deal with this middle part that I actually understand and I'm like respect you know like I respect that (laughs) yeah I love the idea of like focusing your social commentary on that like very small portion of the center because like I do think there's like this weird thing of like like it's so weird to me looking at like people like my parents where I'm like you know you hate Bush and Trump so much but then also like clearly don't want to get that far from Bush and Trump and that's just like a fascinating dynamic to me of like these uh these two characters Mr. Wilcox and Margaret are so close to each other in the grand scheme of things but it's just like (laughs) hyper focused on their conflict yeah it's like oh we want exactly the same thing we're just looking at it from like two different sides like we're basically arguing for the same principle I'm just like doing it based on vibes and you're doing it based on like dollar signs right yeah (laughs) it's like it definitely feels like sort of like a debate between like you know should we be republicans or should we forgive student loans if you have qualified for a pell grant and then opened a small business (laughs) in an underfunded area (laughs) 
yeah. I, I love keep saying like. Oh, oh, I was sorry. just going to say I love that one of Helen's pitches for, like, helping the poor is, like, giving them money for books, like, for a life. it's incredible. I'm, like, yeah, it's, like, I'm, like, Helen would have voted for Elizabeth Warren because she's a woman, but, like, <laughs> definitely more aligned with, like, Pete Buttigieg, you know? Like, and then Margaret's just, like, fully, like, you know, Joe Biden can figure it out. Like, <laughs> let's keep the respectability here. <laughs> I also love that like there's all these debates uh there's there's all those debates between them and then like the one poor character in the novel is like I just want to read books like I'm like I feel bad yeah it's like I would just love to like have a job that like I don't need to spend all my time worrying about and then I can go home and read and I'm like wow buddy isn't that the dream for everybody yes those are those are the best politics in the book are just like, I just want to <laughs> go home and read Dostoevsky. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very sweet. I like, and I do, I love that. I sort of love the dynamics of like the conversations he has with Helen and Margaret. And like, it is kind of hard to follow if you like don't go read the end notes and go like, okay, like who are all of these people that he's talking about? Um, but it is, it's like very cute to watch him like name drop all of these like writers and stuff. And then like Helen and Margaret are like, I mean, yeah, like we could talk about that, but I find him annoying. It's like, it's like whenever I try to talk about movies with someone who like actually lives in the Midwest with me and I'm like, oh yeah, like, you know, Oscar Isaac, he's had some like bad movies in his career, but like, you know, I love like this movie, this movie, this movie. And they're like, wait, who's Oscar Isaac? And I'm like... (laughs) Uh, the guy from Star Wars, and they're like, oh, yeah, he's great in Star Wars. And I'm like, I don't want to talk about Star Wars. <laughs> it's it's very, it's like, I, I, but I love, like, I love that sort of, like, effort he makes to, like, better himself and to, like, talk about all of these things. And it's sort of, like, I don't know. Like, I'm such, like, I'm going to bring, like, teacher energy to this for a second. I teach middle school for anybody who doesn't know me listening. But uh, it's sort of that sense of, like, okay, like, he's learned how to read and he's learned how to, like, analyze and, like, apply it. But he hasn't quite gotten to that, like, evaluation. He's just, like, Mm. everything important is good. And, like, I can't, like, think it's bad. And, like, that's such, like, a... It's such, like, a normal place to be, and, like, particularly when you're, like, trying to read, like, the great works or whatever and trying to, like, you know, get that sort of education. You're like, oh, yeah, I can't hate these because these are, like, supposed to be good. And I'm like, no, you can hate them. You can, like, be like, this sucks and he sucks. Like, and if you can't learn to do that, like, that's, like, one of the important parts of learning. And I just kind (laughs) of wish that somebody had sat him down and said, you can hate stuff. (laughs) I do also think that is, like, very endearing just like from look uh just like looking at it now when I feel like uh there's like such a common sentiment now of just being like um I tried to read two pages of Moby Dick and Percy Jackson is actually better than I'm just like uh, <laughs> you know bless your heart Leonard for just being like I'm giving a chance to these things that are considered great <laughs> yeah it's like it's yeah, there is sort of an endearingness to like even just like yeah, like sitting down with it and actually reading the whole thing that I that from like a modern perspective that is very sweet. He's yeah, yeah. I love Leonard Bast. I think he's a really great character. Um, yeah, it's really sad. Uh, 
my favorite chapter in the whole book is chapter like 41 which is like when Leonard walks to Howard's end and like to like confess his crimes or whatever and it's like he's just walking and like he kind of gets this like sense of like connection with all of the world around him and it is sort of one of those only points in the novel where there is sort of that connection and he sort of like hits this transcendence of like oh I can't like I love everything around me like we all like everything will be okay if I can just like do this one thing and it's sort of this like very romantic like like capital R romantic like sense of like oh yeah like I can solve my problems like everything will be okay I will confess to my crimes and I will be absolved and then it like ends with that like death and it's just like it really gets me I like cry when I read it um which I don't think a lot of people are crying at Howard's end uh, (laughs) you know (laughs) I I have a lot of feelings about uh about this book if you haven't noticed (laughs) yeah but yeah um and I think like I also sort of like get that sort of sense of like yet again I think I think most characters in this book are sort of E.M. Forrester stand-ins maybe not Mr. Wilcox but like almost all of the other characters in some way or another and like um Leonard Bass to me like sort of trying desperately to fit into the society but not being able to feels yet again very much like sort of like someone who is like trying to figure out like how to handle their like sexual identity in a society that does not accept it um which is sort of like what a lot of Ian Forrester stuff comes back to for me because he basically only wrote novels while he was like not sexually active like (laughs) once he started it's like actually literally like once he started having sex he basically stopped writing novels um which iconic (laughs) yes good for him but so it's like for most of the time that he's like for most of his like novel career he was like in like either like sort of like very chaste relationships with other men or like mostly in like extremely emotionally taxing like unrequited love with like yeah with like mostly kind of shitty guys because that's his type um and so yeah so I just I I always I I feel like maybe I read a little bit too much of that emotion into some of his books but like I definitely like get that like emotion from like reading like Howard's End and from reading A Room with a View and like and then you like read Maurice and it's sort of like this more like it's like this liberated view of like, oh yeah, like men can have these relationships and it will like hurt in the society, but you can find that freedom. And it's like, it's just very beautiful to read all of his novels. I, I get very emotional about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, I feel so much like we just started talking, but like looking at the yeah. timestamp, I'm like, I guess we could wind down. Um, yeah. Totally it, up to you if you have a lot uh, more you wanted to point out. Or Yeah, I'm trying to remember, like, what I haven't said because I do definitely have a lot of things I could say. Um, I don't know. One big thing that I, like, always think about with this novel is, like, how much it's concerned with, like, gentrification and, like, tearing down beautiful old buildings to build apartments. Yeah. And I'm like... 
literally like yet again it's like that sort of sense of like Ian Forster can like literally see the future uh <laughs> I think because like it's like we have all the same problems now that he was talking about in his book and um I sort of love like the way he talks about London in his book as sort of like this like horrible monster but also like he like is willing to point out like when there are things that are nice about it I I think he's really good at like speaking to like that complexity that like everything has it's like oh yeah there's like lots of bad things about this but actually there's also good things about this he uses the word muddle a lot and I'm like yeah like that's exactly where like you sort of thrive is like in this like place talking about like the muddle of humanity um and it's like and it's like in both like his descriptions of like actual society and actual places and then like also in his descriptions of like characters and I just I find that very compelling um and yeah yeah and reading it like I when I read it when I was living when like I was in London I was like yeah, this place is amazing, but it's also, like, you know, a city with garbage on the streets and people who, like, are mean to you and, like, all of these other things that, like, you, like, are awful about cities. And I was like, yeah, like, this place is amazing, but also terrible. You totally get it, bud. Like, you totally understand what it's like to, like, live in a city, like, or, like, be around a city. And, yeah, I just think that that is very, I think it's very compelling. Um... And yeah, it's very, it's like very wild to me that this book was written like without knowledge of World War One coming because it does mm -hmm. feel very much like, oh, everything's about to change at the end. And then it does like a couple years later. I don't remember when World War One starts, but it's like, this was published in 1910. And it starts like 1912 or something. Um, and like, I love at the end of the TV show, they like do like a thunder clap like right at the end it's like they're walking off and like the music's all nice and the sun's there and then you like hear thunder and I'm like I it's such an interesting choice because to me it to me I was like oh yeah that's like a world war one thing like oh yeah like shitty stuff is coming the storm is coming um <laughs> of like you know all these people dying and like Paul will probably die in world war one or whatever Timmy will and... die instantly in world war one <laughs> Break his, break his ankle and just like die from that like yeah he's gonna break his ankle and just be like leave me here I'm done <laughs> yeah. um yeah that's a good point I hadn't like thought of that ending that way mm -hmm. but yeah it does have a vibe of like the um the Robert Pattinson movie where the end reveal is it was 9-11 <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> oh god yeah I, I think more movies should end like that. Just being yes. like, yeah. Have you seen, um, <laughs> have you seen uh, the other two, uh, the most recent season? Yes. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> I, I lost my shit. Yeah. It's exactly <laughs> that vibe. It's yeah. So Howard's end and the other two are the like Robert Pattinson, nine 11 canon of television. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I think we should be doing more of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, it is kind of, yeah, I'm excited to see, oh my god, sorry, my mom is calling me, um, 
I'm excited to see uh, the next season of the other two because uh, it'll be the first one of these where you actually get to see the aftermath of the uh, like <laughs> yeah. the, the aftermath of 9/11. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, I think I mostly I think I mostly covered my notes. I. We talked a lot about Matthew McFadden, um, which was a lot, well, a lot of my notes were about. I do think we, I do think Haley Atwell is very good in this. I yeah. feel like maybe I haven't given her enough credit. Um, yeah, it's always hard for me, like, with, um, with so many adaptations like this, I'm just, like, so distracted of, like, it shouldn't be a hot lady. But I'm well, like, I know. but I'm like, yeah, okay, I like. Despite the impediment of being a hot woman, I guess she did a good job. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, yeah, it's like, I love Haley Atwell. I think she is beautiful. Like, if she wants my number, she can have it. But, like, um, but yeah, it is sort of like the sense of, like, these women should be less hot. Like, they don't need to yes. be this hot. I have the same thing with Jane Eyre. Like, every adaption of Jane Eyre, I'm like, these people are too hot. They also make uh, they may also make Rochester too hot too, which is like you can cast ugly men and like yeah. pull it off. Like I don't know why. Like if you're gonna cast a beautiful woman, at least cast an ugly man. But you know, <laughs> or like a Matthew McFadden looking man who's like old and jolly or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So I do think it. Haley Atwell does a really good job. She. She makes Margaret, I think, more likable than Margaret might be in other hands as a character. Because mm. she is very complicated and kind of terrible sometimes. <laughs> Particularly by, like, modern standards. Like, the way that we, like, the way that we all kind of, like, watch TV now, like, with that sort of sense of, like, oh, yeah, like, main characters should make, like, morally good decisions. <laughs> um, <laughs> which I do think is, like, ridiculous. But, like, I think if Haley Atwell... If, I think if the person playing Margaret were not so charming, I think maybe there would have been a little bit more of a sense of, like, for the, like, 15 people that watched this adaption, <laughs> um, <laughs> there would have been a bit more, like, um, oh, my gosh, how dare they, like, you know have this sort of like morally like neutral person playing this main character how dare they like hurt Leonard Bass like that or whatever and I'm like you know that's the point like I'm sorry it's the point right <laughs> so so yeah so she she kind of holds the whole thing together if we're thinking about it in like that sort of modern uh media sensibilities kind of way I feel like yeah but yeah I think I don't know I feel like I could talk for another you know two hours but also I feel like I have said my piece mostly um <laughs> oh by the way have you I wanted to ask if you've seen any other Enforcer TV adaptations I feel like I looked at them and was like okay this is definitely like the money adaptation but yeah, I don't know if you have I haven't actually seen, seen any of the other TV adaptations and I actually I am, like, super embarrassed to say, but I've never watched any of the Merchant and Ivory movie adaptions either, which is, like, I don't know. Like, I, it's, like, oh, it's, yet again, it's, like, I only very recently became a movie guy, and they're mm -hmm. very long movies, and, like, that is the main reason I haven't watched them yet, but um, 
I do intend to at some point. But yeah, so this is actually the only uh, the only Ian Forster adaptation I've watched. So I don't know. Maybe the other ones are all very good, and I just am missing out. But yeah. apparently, the Howard's End movie, according to that Variety article, totally doesn't use Tibby to his full potential. Aww. So like, clearly a failure. Yeah. This. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this uh, one was truly just like a perfect coming together of like Kenneth Lonergan's writing, Alex Lothar's performance, and the costume people who were just doing the most. It just mm-hmm. created like the absolute most perfect tippy. <laughs> like, no I, one's going to top this. Exactly. Yeah, it's like... Yeah, I don't know who dressed the, Tibby, but the only way, they deserve a million dollars. <laughs> the only way an adaptation could do a better job is if there was one where the twist is that Mr. Wilcox fucks Tibby and not Margaret. <laughs> exactly. And Margaret and, and Miss Wilcox, Mrs. Wilcox get together. Yes. You know, there we go. We did it. <laughs> we solved Howard's End. You're welcome, uh, yes. Ian Forster. <laughs> I, like... I think Tibby and Mr. Wilcox only really have like one scene together. And I was watching and I was like, what I love about Alex Lothar's performance is I feel like he can't, I can see in his eyes that he can't stop thinking about how physically large Mr. Wilcox is, (laughs) which is also what I would be doing. Yes, it's amazing. I think it's that scene in the restaurant. Yes. They're like, where Tibby's like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And like, uh, and like Mr. Wilcox is clearly thinking the same thing, but is like trying to like impress Margaret, and so he keeps going like, "Oh, Tibby, this is fine. It's healthy," and like trying so to cute. eat it. And I'm like, "This is an incredible dynamic." Like, yeah, I wish way more of the show was just like the three of them, and Margaret isn't talking, but the other two are just like being little pieces of shit at each other. Yes. <laughs> um. All right. If you wanna wrap up we can rate uh the book and the show um i'm gonna give the book three out of five uh which is like my standard like i really enjoyed this i think maybe uh i'd like to like revisit it and like learn more about it and definitely like learn more about the author because he just seems like a just great a wonderful weird little gay guy um, <laughs> exactly. but I like yeah like for now I would just give it like a solid like yeah like I enjoyed that um mm-hmm. I'm gonna give the adaptation like I'm gonna give it a 3.5 like obviously on some level it's like not actually a better work of art because it's like the novel is like actually an original thing that like thought of all <laughs> these characters but mm-hmm. I think like it um it did just like such a good job of like constructing all the dialogue and like constructing the scenes in a really great way um and I just like I think brought the characters to life really well um so just like in terms of my enjoyment I would go 3.5 yeah um yeah I I like can't give the novel anything other than five stars because it is like truly one of my all-time favorite books um yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, like, I have such an affection for Forster and, like, for this book that, like, reading the reading the narration, it feels like I'm, like, having a little conversation with my friend and, like, yeah. we're, like, making fun of all these people behind their backs. Yeah, I, um, was, I meant to say this earlier, but I kind of thought it would be one of those novels with, like, 
a reveal that the narrator like is a person because yeah. you <laughs> are like this is clearly like a character like he has very yeah. distinct traits yeah yeah he's so well def- it's like such a well-defined narrative voice that like really is very like intrusive and yeah it does it does very much feel like a character in the book I totally I totally feel that but yeah so it's like me and Ian Forster are gossiping about all of these people um that we like love and also kind of hate and like I just love I just love that feeling mm-hmm. um and so it is a five-star novel for me um and I actually feel like I have to rate the show also five stars Hell because yeah. I think that it is like really one of the like best made like adaptions of a like a tv adaption of a classic novel um and it does such a good job of capturing so much of what the book does and is um without really sacrificing a lot of the detail and I think the direction is really good and the production design and like the costuming and the acting um I I do prefer the novel but like I don't prefer it enough to like knock the show down to a (laughs) 4.5 so it's like a 4.75 I guess (laughs) if I had to like distinguish them um so I'd like to end on a recommendation um and what I'll do is since I liked the show better I'm gonna recommend a novel for fans of the show uh I'm gonna recommend the book Alec by William DeCanzio I don't know if you know this book I haven't read it I haven't read it even so it's like a fan fiction of Maurice um about Alex Scudder (laughs) um I love that (laughs) yeah there's like some stuff I don't like about it like it has a very lengthy world war one part and I'm like I didn't I didn't need to read about Alec like separated from Maurice and just like having dysentery like I don't care um yeah that's not what I'm here for buddy yeah but um it's really interesting, and I just love, like, the principle of being like, you know, um, it's great that that book exists, but now we live at a time where you can, like, describe the dicks and cum, so I need to, like, come Bring in here and in. do that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Okay, I'm definitely checking that book out. Um, yeah, okay, so um, so I preferred the book, so I recommend a TV show. Um, oh, uh so it's another BBC classics adaptation. I'm not going to recommend Pride and Prejudice because if you're interested in them, you've already watched it. But uh, <laughs> there's a, I think it's 1997, Our Mutual Friend by Charles Ooh. Dickens adaptation um, that uh, is, like, so good. And, like, I don't think anybody's really watched it, but I, I watched it a couple years ago, and it stars Anna Friel um, of... Uh, Charles or Charlotte Charles from Pushing Daisies fame oh um in like she's younger and she has like the most perfect face in it she just like makes the best facial expressions and like the main two guys in Our Mutual Friend are like these two like dudes who are just like besties and they're like in charge of like controlling this estate that like somebody died and then they like have to like manage the money and then one of them falls in love anyway but like it's really just about these there's like so much of it is just about these two guys who are like clearly in love with each other and like obsessed with each other it's got like genuinely like house and wilson from house vibes of like they're like yeah they like cannot live without each other they're obsessed with each other um 
And then it's just also got like every British actor under the sun and it deals with kind of those class issues and it's got some real like drama to it. Um, so yeah, it's a really good, it's a really good BBC classics adaptation if you're looking for another one of those. It does not look as expensive <laughs> um, because it was filmed in 1997, sure. but it is, it is extremely good. Nice. Yeah, it sounds good. Yeah. Um, so at the end, um, I do let my guests do plugs. I know you have like a real job and like yeah. don't need to like desperately put out content, which I am so jealous of. Um, yes, but I'm a you, civilian. That's what <laughs> if you want to plug anything, you absolutely can. Yeah. So yes, I do have a real person job, um, and uh, I do not desperately produce content. <laughs> which I also feel very grateful for, but I do, <laughs> I do produce uh, a version of content on my Twitter, I guess, um, which is at, I wish I was a Finch. Um, so if you did want to follow me on Twitter, uh, you could do that. Uh, yeah, at I wish I was a Finch, which is, was originally after the uh, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird characters when mm. I was like in 11th grade and a huge nerd. So <laughs> yeah. Ellen is a great follow, everybody. <laughs> if anyone listening to this doesn't already know and follow her. Um, yeah, yeah. If you are following Lenny and you're not following me, you'll get to see a lot more of me uh, reply guying Lenny with like TV <laughs> takes. So. <laughs> um, and of course, you can listen to my other podcast, House of House, wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Lenny Burnham. And you can check out the other. Uh, the other podcasts on the major cast network by googling that um so thank you everybody uh for listening thank you ellen for being here yeah thank you so much for having me this was so fun <laughs> all right good night everybody <laughs>